Hello, I'm Dee Brown, CEO, and welcome to this episode of Self Made. Joining me on this episode is Washington Power Broker, Jarvis Stewart. Jarvis is the chairman and president of Highland Poe. Jarvis, welcome to Self Made. Thanks, Dee. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, I'm glad to have you on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Jarvis, listen, uh, your background is just so interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I want to jump in and really set the stage for my viewers so they can understand your journey to where you are now. Sure. So talk to me about your childhood, growing up in the inner cities of Houston, Texas, what that was like, the challenges you faced, yeah. so that we can kind of set the stage. Well, uh, again, thank you for having me. And Man, you're, you're right, welcome. I grew up in, in Houston, Texas. Uh, uh, single mother, uh, raised five kids. Uh, my mom later got remarried later, later in life. Um, but it was... Um, it was an amazing experience. Our home was filled with love uh, and laughter. Uh, my older brothers and sisters were um, uh, artists, poets, musicians, dancers, wow. um, and I was the youngest, uh, and still the youngest of five. Uh, and so I sort of embraced a lot of that excitement yeah. uh, of growing up. Uh, my mother, who's a fantastic writer herself and public speaker, uh, it was just amazing to, to sort of watch and, and experience as I look back on my life now. Uh, wonderful, great community. Uh, I grew up in a neighborhood called Acres Home, which is in the north part of Houston. Okay. And, um, pretty tough community. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't know it at the time. Uh, yeah, same, same here, man. <laughs> we, we had no idea, but yeah. uh, it, was a, it was a tough community. And um, my, my mom will tell you that she, as much as it, it, it uh, gave us, inspired us to do great things, she knew that our, our lives were much bigger than that than neighborhood and right. much bigger than Houston. Right. Um, uh, tons of cousins and aunts and uncles who were part of our village and part of our our, uh, our upbringing, uh, and so I, I'm delighted. Many of them are still around. They're they're still. Uh, they call me Chris. Yeah. Big Chris. Uh, little Chris. I have all <laughs> kinds of Chris. All kinds of Chris. Which Christopher is my middle name. Okay. So um, a number of our uh, my family still refer to me as Chris versus Jarvis. But growing up in Houston, like I said, a tough community. What were some of the challenges that you faced and obstacles you had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I I don't shy away from the idea of, of, of growing up on federal federal assistance. We were we were on welfare and you know AFDC and yeah. all the other programs. Mom was doing her very best uh, to 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 uh, have a part time job and still try to raise kids. Um, we uh, the schools were not the public schools were not the best yeah. uh, where we went to where I went to high school where I went to elementary school uh, in the third grade. However, my mom. Uh, found out that there was a great program where I could be transferred from the the, the local community, uh -huh. uh, the local community school, to across town to a more affluent public school called Edgar Allan Poe. Okay, uh, that experience uh, really broadened my vision about life. Um, you know, when I look back, I had to get up every morning at about 5.30 in order to catch the school bus at 6.30 yeah. uh, and travel uh, some 20 miles across Houston in order to go to my, 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 uh, my elementary school. Yeah. Uh, the school was mostly white kids. Uh, there were a few black kids from, uh, that also had the opportunity to attend the school. Um, but it was, a, it was a unique environment. I often tell people that, you know, I, I'd never... Uh, I'd never seen those many white people gathered in person until I went to elementary school. Yeah. Usually, if a if someone in my neighborhood showed up that was white to our door, it was the police officer. <laughs> right. Um, but I'd never never seen a white teacher. I'd never ever had opportunity to uh, to see so many other white kids. Um, 
Uh, and it was great. And yeah. I fell right into it. And kids invited me to their homes uh, and their families and got to know their friends. Uh, there was one, one example that um, a, a very, very dear friend of mine, uh, she and I are still friends today. Her name is Juwan Gregory. Uh, I'll never forget, Juwan's African-American. She's a teacher now in Houston. Her father uh, went on to become, uh, was one of the most uh, accomplished architects in, in Houston uh, in the 1970s. And I'll never forget, Juwan's father used to show up uh, and pick her up from school. He had a convertible Spider, which was a little little uh, sports car. Right, right. Uh, and I just thought that changed my life, D, because I'd, I'd never, my dad, mom and dad worked a lot. Yeah. Uh, and just didn't have the opportunity to come. So to see uh, a black man to come pick up his daughter from elementary school right. daily yeah. in a convertible car, it's like, I don't know what he does or who he is, but I was like, Juwan, I want to be just like your dad when I grow up. Uh, and in later years, Juwan and I got to be very close. We're still very close yeah. now. Uh, and he passed away some years ago. And I, I told her, I said, Juwan, you have no idea how impactful your dad uh, was on my life. Because I said I wanted to have a career where I didn't miss any volleyball games, lacrosse games, right. track and field games of my daughters. Right. And that was just very impactful. And it started with your dad. Uh, and so as a result, she and I have been kindred spirits ever since. So talk to me about high school. Where did you where did you go to high school, and what were those those years like? Yeah, so I I attended a uh, a magnet school in Houston. We mm -hmm. have uh, various magnet schools where students that have a certain interest or certain academic achievement level. Uh, I attended uh, high school for law enforcement and criminal justice. Uh, which was an HISD, Houston Independent School District Magnet School. And it was specifically for kids that were interested in pursuing careers in uh, criminal justice and law enforcement, um, um, wanted to be a lawyer, someone of that space. Yeah. Uh, and I, by that time, I had already decided that I wanted to do something in politics or in law. Uh, I wanted to go to law school after, after college. Uh, but I was sort of opened up to this world of politics and business and international relations that law school became a thing of the past. Uh, um, but my high school years were fantastic. Um, uh, I did play sports when I was in middle school and a little bit while I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, I was fairly good at it, uh, but not good enough to play in college and didn't want to sort of elevate it to that level. Um, uh, I was in ROTC, which I was was recognized as maybe the second or third best cadet ROTC high school junior ROTC cadet in the state of Texas, okay. um, and so I, I I thought about a, a career in the military at one point. Yeah, uh, but that too sort of fell by the wayside. Um, my high school career was great. Tons of friends to this very day that we still uh, stay in contact with, um, and I learned a lot about myself uh, and really the direction that I wanted to go. So after high school, you attended Prairie View A&M University. I did. Uh, what did you major in? And, and just kind of walk me through graduating from Prairie View and what was your first uh, job that you landed? So I, uh, it, I did. I attended Prairie View A&M University, which is about an hour or so outside of Houston. Uh, I was a political science and geography major. Uh, at one point, I thought I wanted to, um, again, go to law school. And I thought that, was be, that would lay a great foundation uh, to do so. Uh, but in my uh, junior year, I had the opportunity to get an internship working for Ron Brown, yep. who at the time was the chair, for, became the first chair of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, and I went to Washington and spent uh, a great deal of time working for him. And uh, I was fortunate enough uh, to have a great 
uh, chair of my department at Purview, who says, hey, come back and finish your degree, write me, a, write me a, a paper of what you've been doing for the last you know, year while you're in Washington, and then we'll, we'll make all the other classes, uh, give pass on all the other classes. And, and so it was great. Yeah. So I did what I was asked to do, finished, got my degree. My, I never walked across the stage. This is a, a fun fact that my mother, <laughs> she sees that she's gonna be very, very, very upset that I'm telling this story, but um, in the midst of the, the, the graduation, I was anxious to get back to Washington to work on campaigns. And so I knew as long as I uh, achieved all of my credit hours and, and got the, the letter from the registrar that I was a graduate of the university, I didn't care about walking Walk, across the yeah. stage and people shouting my name. Well, I'm my mom's last child. She had five kids, and so I'm the last one that she never saw me walk across the stage. And in many ways, she's never let me live it down. <laughs> so, yeah. And so my, my first job, I, I you know, when I was in college, I worked every, for the local county attorney there at Purview in, in Waller County, Texas. Yeah. Uh, I, I was a hustler. I, I, I knew that um, I wanted to make money. Uh, I knew that I wanted to be to absorb as much knowledge about uh, government and politics and business. So I was willing. I, I probably was a process server, where you know you take uh, someone's getting served for yeah. a civil. I was a process server for a while. I worked at uh, Best Buy as in uh, as a loss prevention manager for a while. Um, I worked at an old tire uh, um, a recycling plant, which was probably the dirtiest job I'd ever ever had before. I did that. For, I, working was not a problem for me, uh, not because I necessarily needed to, but it's because I just wanted to. Yeah. I just knew, as my dad would always say, it built character, and character D uh, to this very day is very important for me. Right. And um, and I knew that it would lead to. Um, you know, a better life, better options. As I often tell my daughters now that, you know, having money does not make you happy. Right. It does not. It gives you more options. Right. It's the difference between staying at a five-star hotel or a two-star hotel or driving, you know, a public access, public transportation or driving a car. So I've always been driven by how can I present myself, deliver more options for what it is I want to do. Right. So... You, but you go through all of these different uh, career paths, but you, and eventually you land on Capitol Hill. Yes. So talk to me about that journey. It was it was it was fantastic. I uh, I had the great opportunity uh, first of all to work uh, as a senior advisor uh, in the Clinton administration, um, both at the White House and at the Department of Labor for uh, Alexis Herman, who, as you know, is the first African American woman to ever be the. Uh, Secretary of Labor, right. uh, who I'd known in my, during my tenure working for Ron Brown. Um, uh, and, and Ron Brown was significant in that he was the first African-American to serve as the... Uh, DNC chair. Right. That's exactly right. But also right. Secretary of... Of, uh, of, of uh, Commerce. Commerce. That's of, exactly of Commerce. Right. And he tragically died in a plane, plane crash. crash in right. Croatia. That's right. exactly Croatia, right. right. So I, I was just very fortunate to be able to have lines of sight and relationships with, with both of them. Yeah. Uh, and Alexis uh, gave me, uh, the Secretary Hearn gave me an opportunity to really grow my career and my network and understand yeah. sort of the input and the output of, of government. Um, I later went on to work on Capitol Hill and became a chief of staff 
to uh, uh, former Congressman Harold Ford Jr. of right. Tennessee, right. Uh, who, uh, interesting enough, Harold and I were interns together working for Ron Brown. So just as, as ambitious as he was, so was I. Right. Uh, right. And we often laugh now. We've been friends for some 35 years. Uh, he and I still talk twice, three times a week. And we, you know, we think about how our lives have changed. Right. Um, uh, and how they've become so much better as a, as a result of our friendship. Right. Uh, but I spent time working as Harold's chief of staff, learned a great deal about the legislative process, more importantly about the role that business, how business can really play in the legislative process uh, and, and how you can really implement great policy. Right. Um, but, you, but you participated in a brutal confirmation hearing during your time. So let's talk about... Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, it was it was shortly after um, uh, it was the second term of the Clinton administration, and uh, President Clinton had uh, appointed um, uh, sec uh, Alexis to be Labor Secretary. Yeah. Uh, and it was pretty brutal. Um, there was a number of of, uh, of folks on both sides of the aisle, mostly on the other side of the aisle. That it's, the opposing party was coming after Alexis for a wide range of of, of reasons. Um, but we, uh, we prevailed, uh, largely because Alexis's character was uh, superior. Mm -hmm. uh, her focus was, was, you know, to this very day, uh, driven on uh, what mattered the most. Uh, we built an amazing coalition, uh, led primarily by members of Delta Sigma Theta, which Alexis is a lifetime member uh, of, and uh, every day, uh, we made it real clear that we were going to pack that hearing room yeah. with as much red as we could get. <laughs> and so when those senators walked in from the from uh, the committee to begin drilling her around her nomination process, um, that they would see a sea of red behind her, and they right. knew that uh, that these women were here to support Alexis, and they right. were taking notes and make and taking names of, of people who would who were, did not do right by. By uh, by Alexis and uh, and as a result, uh, it was it was it was tough. Yeah, it was very tough. She prevailed, and uh, I think uh, the work that she did as Labor Secretary has been uh, unparalleled to date. Right. So um, you spent, I guess, the majority of your professional career in D.C. on the Hill, correct? Mm -hmm. So do you recall uh, where you were uh, during 9/11? Do you remember that? <laughs> Yeah, I do. So by that time, I had left the Hill. Uh, I had started my lobbying practice, and uh, I uh, was—I uh, had recently gotten married, and we had had uh, a kid, a uh, daughter, my oldest daughter, Madeline. Um, and I remember um, uh, when when the towers were hit. I was actually having lunch with a good friend of mine named Danny Black, who was in town from New York. Okay. He was an investment banker, and he happened to come in town, and he says, hey, let's get together, have a little breakfast, uh, which later turned into lunch, which later turned into dinner. Uh, and and um, it was tragic. It was, uh, it was the city in Washington was in chaos. We were seeing the images on television. Right. Uh, a number of friends, by this time I had built a pretty good reputation uh, in, in New York with a number of, of investment bankers and guys on Wall Street that I had known for a long time. Um, it, it was it was a it was a very tragic and sad and dark day, um, but my 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 number one priority was 
where is my wife and where was our, our kids at the Absolutely. time? Yeah. Um, and she at the time was working at Fannie Mae, and which was away from Capitol Hill. My office was downtown, which was also away from Capitol Hill. So it was a little bit of a relief, but you didn't know. Right. You didn't know where the planes were going. You didn't know the chaos. Uh, how it would mushroom and, 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 and sort of really consume so much of our psyche on, on, on that tragic day. Right. So you went on to uh, found your own lobbying firm, mm -hmm. grew it to be the largest African-American uh, lobbying firm. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about your lobbying firm and, and, and just tell me about an issue that you lobbied for that you've been very passionate about. Wow, that's a that's a great question. I uh, I did. We we grew uh, the firm to be um, uh, pretty significant. Uh, we had a, a huge staff and did annual uh, revenues that were were impressive. Uh, I think they would be still impressive to this day. Uh, we we primarily represented um, big corporations: Walmart, Toyota, FedEx, Verizon. Uh, but we also did a lot of work for Texas Southern University, who I'm very close to, which is a HBCU in Texas, as right. you well know. Right. Uh, we've done work for Mississippi Valley State in, in, um, in Mississippi, yeah. down in the Delta, uh, the city of Houston. I mean, we've had a long, over the span of my career, I've probably had some 90, 90 clients or so. Yeah. Uh, at some point, you just kind of stop counting them and just fortunate enough that they would trust you to, to do work for them. Right. Um, we've been uh, participating at sort of at the forefront of a, of a number of different uh, key initiatives. One in particular was uh, the debundling or the, or the breakup of the bail system. Uh, I, I joke with my daughters often. I says, you know, I remember when Verizon didn't exist. And he's like, Dad, what are you talking about? Verizon's always been around. I says, no. I said, my first client in the telecom space was Bell Atlantic. They'd never heard of Bell Atlantic. Right. They'd never, right. never heard of 9X. They've yep. never heard of, you know, Bell South, right? Right. Um, right? And it's because those were the bells that essentially created uh, what we now know as Verizon. Right. Uh, and so I was fortunate enough to be on the team that essentially helped create what we now know uh, from a policy perspective, Verizon. Um, same thing with Department of Homeland Security after 9-11. Uh, I was very fortunate enough to be a part of a small select group of, of policy makers and policy um, uh, advisors to sort of help put together a 22 agencies uh, organization that we now know as the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, so I'd like to think I've been at the forefront. Yeah. Uh, either I'm just a really old guy, or fairly <laughs> smart, <laughs> to be at the forefront of some real groundbreaking uh, public policy initiatives in this country. Right. And speaking of groundbreaking uh, achievements, uh, you were part of the uh, team that brought the Washington Nationals uh, back to D.C. Yes. from Montreal and one of the first minority owners of a major league, uh, league baseball team. So talk to me about that. Yeah, it was, that was pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, the year was 2006. Um, the uh, Montreal Expos were looking to be sold. Um, our partnership group led by a, a very, very prominent family in Washington called the Learners. Uh, they put together a pretty, pretty significant team uh, of, of minority owners, of minority black and Hispanic owners to be a part of the ownership group, partnership group, and uh, I was chosen um, and uh, as a founding partner. Uh, and we were delighted to sort yeah. of lead this effort, both from a community perspective, but also from an economic perspective. We, we, we really sort of were fortunate enough to breathe an economic, if you go to come to Washington now, you'll see the, the sort of waterfront in Washington has really been revitalized, largely because of the building of the stadium and the right. team has done so well. 
Right. Uh, so we have really contributed, I, I'd like to think in many ways, to the sort of economic resurgence that has taken place in Washington over the last you know, 10 to 15 years. Right, so what do you consider your greatest achievement thus far? Oh wow. What are you most proud of? Um, so I, I, it would probably have to be uh, the work that we've done in helping to build the Martin Luther King Memorial in yeah. Washington. Uh, my good friend Harry Johnson, who at the time was the president, of the uh, of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, sort of been hit for years, have been driving this effort to raise money to and work with members of Congress to identify uh, land on the National Mall to build this memorial. Right. Uh, and Her Harry was kind enough to reach out to me. We went to lunch together and laughed and talked. And he says, "I got something. I just need your help on." And at the time, I just I was too focused on business and growing my network and raising a family. But when Harry sort of rolled out uh, his vision and why this was so important and so significant, I couldn't say no. Right. And he had been right. a friend. So we spent uh, 10 to 12 years uh, working with Congress and identifying corporations and raising money. Some 200 plus million dollars is what the memorial, um, uh, it cost the memorial to be built. Uh, our firm built, uh, raised some almost $50 million to, uh, to that effort. Uh, and we were delighted um, 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, to dedicate it to the American people, to yeah. the world, not yeah. just to American, but to, to the world, this amazing, beautiful, beautiful, heart-wrenching, um, in inspirational memorial that we now call the Martin Luther King Memorial. We, we often like to joke that, you know, the National Mall has, you know, Lincoln and Jefferson and, and Washington, obviously, uh, and we like to say that Dr. King, it's a king among presidents. Yeah. Um, because he's the first person ever to be honored on the mall, a uh, man of peace, uh, right. a, a man of justice, a man of, of uh, that's not a non-president. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty significant. Right, right. On the greatest real estate ever. So, you know, obviously uh, making the journey from the inner city of Houston to uh, Capitol Hill and, yeah. you know, and, and really performing at the highest level uh, as a business, you had to have some some influential people yeah. uh, along the way. So who are some of the people that uh, helped influence you and provided you good uh, guidance and counsel along the way? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned a few earlier. I mean, in many ways, it have to definitely start with my parents who were who were very, my mother, such a driving force, my father, such a driving force in teaching me a great deal about uh, uh, being a person of character uh, and working hard and staying focused. Um, um, you know, Ron Brown, Alexis Herman, um, um, you know, Vernon Jordan, I had the great opportunity to spend a great deal of time with him. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, there's just been, D, I've been enormously blessed to have yeah. so many great people, professors, and even to this very day, you know, a, a number of people have sort of come into my life to inspire me. Uh, I, I believe that no one um, it's no one comes in by accident. There's a there's a purpose that they that they come into your life for you to learn from them right. or for to learn to learn what to do or what not to do right. in many ways. Right. Uh, and so I've been whether it's in business, I mean, uh, or just in my personal life, is wanting to be a better father, wanting to be a better uh, a, a, a better son, yeah. wanting to be <laughs> you know just a better friend. Um, you, you see so many great opportunities uh, and it's important for us to just sort of seize on them. Right, so uh, we may have some young viewers watching, maybe even older view viewers uh, that are trying to find their way to uh, success. Uh, what advice would you give 
to anyone watching that's trying to figure out how to um, build success in their own lives? Well, I, you know, I tell you that for me, there were, there's just some real basic tenets, some principles. First of all, my faith is everything. Uh, my family, my friends, uh, staying focused, um, uh, being able to seize every opportunity um, that, that come your way. I, I don't think things happen. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't think I'm sitting sitting right. here with you as a coincidence. Right. Um, I think everything is divinely ordered, and we have to. Um, it's the good word say, be still and know. Yeah. And be willing to listen and focus. Um, they, it may not always bear fruit immediately, but at some point it will, uh, right. because that's just sort of the way life is. Right. Uh, but I would also tell um, a young younger person. Um, to sort of, you know, be a student of whatever your craft is. Right. If you're int- if you want to be a the be- if you're interested in being a cameraman or uh, a, a a a fashion designer, be the best at that. Right. Be a student of it. Don't right. we have a tendency to want to do things a little quicker? Be in this social media uh, microwave world that we live in, looking right. for shortcuts. Right. Um, that's you want to focus on longevity. Uh, you want to yep. you want to create a legacy and part of the creating a legacy is that you have to really focus on um, how to be the best at it. And it's not going to happen overnight. Right. Uh, it's going to require some hard work. Right. Uh, and don't be afraid of hard work. Don't yes. don't be afraid of it. I want to thank you again for being on the show, Absolutely. man. It was great. You've done amazing things. I appreciate you taking time out your hectic schedule to be here with me on the show. Sure. And to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of Self Made. 